Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marks with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Boca, or not, you're not with Boca Raton, Florida. You're from Boca Raton, Florida, but you're with Hackett Financial. Sean's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how you doing this morning? I'm good, Casey. Real good. There has been uh, the much-anticipated, quote-unquote, first uh, winter storm has hit the uh, the western mountains. I'm, we're supposed to get an inch three uh, where I'm at, but that could be a, that could be zero to three feet. And sometimes the way things get predicted out here. But looking at the, the pattern of the storm, the way it moves. If it moves a little bit east or a little bit south, there's a lot of places that are expected to get nothing that could get quite a bit, Sean. So I guess as you look at this first big storm of the uh, of the year, what are your thoughts there? And and is this you know you've talked about maybe a uh, a warmer run up to December and then this you know a more intense January, February, March time frame. I guess looking at what you see right now, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, a warmer pattern doesn't mean it's warm all the time. You're going to have your cold snaps like this. Remember, the all the uh, conventional weather forecasters that are using the models are saying very warm winter coming. But Noah came out with these red and purple colors about how warm the winters are going to be. It's complete nonsense. They're they're not. They're just using 
standard operating procedure when it comes to a strong El Nino. And we've already indicated on your show many, many times that this El Nino is not strong. It's extremely weak. Um, it's going to be, it's, it's morphing into a Modokai. And as a result, the center of the country east is going to get a, a lot of snow and a lot of cold persistently starting in late December. And it doesn't mean you're not going to have some cold weather along the way. It just means generally speaking, your persistent pattern of cold um, is going to start late December and, and really carry on uh, really through the end of March, uh, maybe even a little bit into April. And uh, so, so, so the big, the big key this year is it's exactly opposite of what we had last year. Last year it was center west, crazy cold, crazy snow, a winter to remember all that, you know, the, 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 the drought in California removed, um, after getting whatever it was 600 inches of snow, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> reservoirs yeah. that were, you know, were now overflowing. So we're yeah. looking for exactly the opposite pattern and we're looking at energy consumption. Energy consumption is the high is high when you're the center east of the country is in a cold snowy pattern um the good news with this pattern is if we get a decent amount of snow in the center east it should provide some runoff during the spring that helps that mississippi river get a better water level already by the way we saw the remnants of that hurricane or a typhoon, whatever you want to call it, that came through Mexico, that came up through the U.S. Yeah. Um, we've already seen the Mississippi actually rise pretty nicely here, uh, a little shot in the arm. So, so you know, overall, uh, I, I think that the Mississippi crisis is, is likely reached its maximum, um, its maximum level of concern, and not that it's the, the concern is going to go away, but I, I think we're going to get enough. Moisture here in the fall and snowfall here over the winter that uh, we'll have enough going on that we're going to be able to move some grain, um, you know, when we need to. So, right on. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, the Mississippi thing is was there for a while was pretty critical, but now as you take a look, what's going on? There's yeah, if you look at the water gauge, the uh, yeah. water level uh, 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 charts, which I just looked at this morning, you know, pr pretty nice bump up. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's not unusual. You know, you get a little, you get do get tend to get moisture in the fall. It's just a changeover of seasons and such. But overall, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be a big story here for the U.S. going into the spring. I, I think that's going to turn out to be a back burner issue even though it was here a concern for a little while it did create some issues with uh bases widening out and all that sort of thing but i i, I just don't i don't think it's going to be a um a crisis situation unless we have a very dry winter and, and i don't think where it counts for mississippi we're going to have a very dry winter i think we're going to have plenty of plenty of snow and moisture so yep all right, let's jump over and talk a little bit about what's happening in the cattle market. The cattle market this week has had a pretty rough week. So if you take a look what's going on there, we've seen some stuff. we got some green on the board this morning but in the overnights. But as you take a look at that, you've been talking about this for a while, where, where this the cattle market was going to start seeing some pressure, and we're starting to see it now more consistently than we've seen it in the past. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, prices can't go up forever. I mean, they can't? What? what there's there's a there's a rule that 
uh, what goes straight up eventually comes straight back down. I mean, it's just, yep. you know, the thought that somehow people are going to pay ever and ever increases, uh, higher, in higher price increases on beef forever, regardless of their economic, socioeconomic situation is completely ridiculous. But, you know, that's what you were hearing. Oh, it's a permanent shift. The demand is actually now, you know, going to, it's, it's not going to go down. It's a, it's no longer cyclical. All this crazy things that people put out to try to justify a move. Uh, and, you know, so, so the cattle price got too high. And because it got too high, the cattlemen are, are putting more animals on feed they're feeding more they're placing more in feed which means more animals are going to be coming to the market here you know over the next three to six months and the demand you know although you know is weakening and we're backing off the beef cutout price is backing off this is I'm, I, it does not mean it's a bear market i want to be very clear we think this is a uh well overdue correction in the market that's going to work off some of the excess that have been built in the industry. It's going to help bring some alleviation to the higher prices. This is this grocery stores are going to start. I'm already starting that the, uh, the uh, USDA puts out weekly uh, information about grocery stores and their sales for food in the grocery stores. We, we watch this and all of a sudden we're seeing huge discounts and offers and sales on beef try to move some beef to try to you know, provide a lower price point because they're getting backed up on some of this beef. This is all part of the process of realigning the market, getting the price back to where you know enough people can afford it. It doesn't mean the supply pinch is gone. It just means it's been temporarily um, alleviated. But we do think the back half of 24, the supply pinch is going to come back, especially if we stimulate some better demand as we go into the grilling season, which we will, you know, I think we could have a secondary round two of a move higher. That move in the back half of 24, um, you know, that could be your final terminal move to the upside. So I want to be very clear. I don't believe we've made a final top, but we've made an important top and a top that livestock would not want to have missed especially if we're going to see a general corrective period for the next three to six months, then they're going to be selling cattle at significantly lower prices in the next three to six months than they could have if they had locked in that price when we've been suggesting here over the last couple of months. Everything is timing. Every farmer has to sell all the time. Um, it'd be nice you know, if you could just never sell and just wait, but that's not the way farming works. So, so, I, I, so I think that uh, – the corrective phase is underway. Are we going to have bounces? Maybe we're due for a bounce right now. We probably should get a bounce right now. We've had such a – look at that feeder cattle price in the January contract. Just wow, what a knockdown. I mean that's just um, – takes your breath away to watch how fast that thing has fallen. You know, once again, when markets go straight down, they're probably going to have a bounce. I mean you know, there, there are certain things in markets sure. that, you know, nothing go, can crash forever. You're always going to get a bounce. So – so the bottom line is, is that I, you know, on any bounces we get, which we'll probably do for one now, into the end of the year, if you've missed or did not get done what you needed to when prices were really, really good, get yourself caught up. That's yep. that's a, that's the message that we're trying to convey. Yep, absolutely. All right, Sean, talk a little bit about this. We've seen some some economic news come out over, you know. 
for the past six, eight months that are, you know, recession, recession, recession. As you look at some of the stuff that we're seeing here, do you, are you starting to feel like maybe there's some creep of these interest rates are starting to creep in into people's buying patterns as you look at what's going on? I think the problem is, is that most of the people who are in the business of analyzing economic data are my age or older, meaning mid-50s or older. All we know is the world the way it was. We're not, when I'm saying we, the analyst community as a whole are not adjusting to the world as it is and the world as it's going to be. When you have an exponentially changing technology platform in artificial intelligence and quantum computing, and when your economy has morphed into what once was a manufacturing and retail-led economy to a healthcare-led economy, I don't think you can apply the same rules as you did in the past to what the overall economy is going to do. Of course, if interest rates go up, people are going to buy less cars because the financing costs are more. Sure. Of course, if interest rates go up, people are not going to take mortgages out as much as they did before and they're not going to buy as much real estate and housing as they did before because it costs too much. Of course, the banks are going to lend less money out because they're under duress uh, from from the inverted yield curve that we've had uh, up for over a year now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, of course, um, retail sales are going to fall considerably as people's disposable income are falling. And, and, they, and we're seeing clear evidence of all of that. That's all recessionary stuff. In fact, many of what I've just said, those industries are in or about to enter a recession. But it does not mean that the U.S. economy is in recession, right? Yes, recession means right. the entire economy bubble, is in yeah. decline. And obviously, with what we just printed, you can argue they're full of shit. That's not a real number. They're scamming. And I get all of that. Like, I'm not a big fan of government data, and, and there's a lot of faults with it. But we are growing. Maybe we're not growing at 4.9%. Maybe it's 3.5%, whatever the real number is. They'll make adjustments six months from now, and you'll find it was only 3.5%. But whatever it is... We're still growing as an entire economy because of these new levers that are being pulled. And, and so because of that, um, you know, I'm not sure we are going to print in a, a recessionary U.S. GDP number. I think we just might have what's called rolling recessions in certain industries, whether it's housing, whether it's commercial real estate, whether it's the retail sector, whether it's the automobile sector. I mean, I think we're going to have these rolling um, recessions, but I, do, I, I don't think where the most rapid growth is occurring and where the most dominant uh, forces are in driving the U.S. GDP, those industries are not in recession. They are continuing to grow, and they're not really terribly cyclical. Um, as the other ones are. So I, I think we're not going to see that. Um, and, and so as a result of that, um, I, I think once we go through this uh, episode and everybody realizes that the what, we didn't have one, I think everyone's going to start rewriting the rules and rewriting 
what information do we need to be looking at to try to determine total GDP growth or negative growth and all the things that we've used to do? And of course, you know, if you look at the stock market, right? So AI has been the whole, up until the last 10 correction here in the last month, the AI stocks have been getting really hit very, very hard. Um, but up until the last 30 days, you know, we had the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 going up all year long on 15 to 20 stocks that represented the AI economy. Um, the rest of the stocks were flattened down. I mean, if you look at the, at the stock market breadth, they call it, where you look at the index going up versus all stocks, you know, most of the stocks have been flattened down because we're in a, a, a negative economic environment. Right. But if you look at things like healthcare stocks and AI stocks, they've been ripping to the upside. Once again, the changing formulation of our economy. So the stock market is telling you exactly what's going on. AI and healthcare are very healthy, doing very, very well. And you know, you look at the look at the retail ETF, look at the uh, real estate ETF, look at the banking ETF crashing and burning to the downside. So there you have it. The stock market is telling you where things are bad and where things are good. Um, and so when we're dealing with commodities, so we're dealing with something like cotton, you know, which is highly cyclical to consumer sentiment and consumers' disposable income, a weak retail sector, which is what we have, you know, is is holds that market back from moving to the upside because that is retail is in recession. And so, you know, cotton is going to be impacted by that kind of thing. Now, now, if you're looking at, uh, you know, something like uh, the wheat market, you know, the wheat market is 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 really not a cyclical demand base. It, it is it, it wheat is one of the food sources that feed the world under all you know all the time. I mean, it's your, it's your, it's your go-to, one of your go-to food sources that is a must-have all the time to feed the world, including rice. So that demand is going to be solid. Um, it's not going to be a cyclical. We're not going to be dealing with the same demand-side headwinds. Um, so you have to look at the demand base for that market completely differently than you would be looking at something like cotton or something like copper. You know, something, you know, those markets that are much more cyclical to, to consumer behavior and to manufacturing behavior. And so, you know, the commodities um, have been two steps forward, one step back. And the reason behind all that is because for the most part, look, energy demand is cyclical, right? Right. It's cyclical. If, right. if the manufacturing sector and the retail sector and people's disposable income are down, they travel, you know, so, so we're, we're, but yet supplies are tight in many markets. So you have this really interesting situation where you have tight supplies, worry over weakening demand. That's, you know, with just, so what we need to see is we need to see the federal reserve get comfortable enough with what's going on with inflation to say, you know what, we're going to back off on these interest rates, not back to zero, 
I hope we never go back there again. That was the biggest mistake we ever made, in my humble personal opinion. But you know, can we go back? Can we go from five percent to three percent? Yeah. Is that going to improve the retail sector, the auto sector, the housing sector, the banking sector? You betcha. And is that going to take the pressure off interest payments on government debt that's currently now exceeding our federal our defense spending? Uh, requirements? You betcha. Are we entering an election? Uh, you betcha. Um, and so all of that says to me that 2023 was the bottoming phase for commodities. And if you look at the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, we, we do an amalgamation chart of the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index and the BLS Cash Commodity Index. Goldman Sachs is a little energy, more energy-focused whereas the BLS is more general. But if you look at it, we kind of made a double bottom from the spring into the late summer, came off of that, and we're sort of, you know, so it looks to me like we're making this sort of a rounding double bottom that we're just kind of gradually grinding our way, you know, into the finish line here to the end of the year. But I think we will look back at 23 as an overall bottoming pattern, nothing to get too excited about, by the way, but a bottoming pattern. Because remember, we've had exorbitant bearishness in commodities all year long, and they've not gone down. They've not gone down anymore. They stopped going down. So my view is 24, we're going to see the we're going to start to see an acceleration to the upside because weather volatility, as we've talked about here on your show many times, is not going away. Brazil, I think, is going to provide potential for some. Significant fireworks for a lot of ag markets that will lead to improvement in commodity sentiment, whether it's corn, whether it's soybeans and such. Um, and of course, like I said, in an election year, now that we finally have a Speaker of the House, <laughs> um, you now. know, for now, <laughs> for now. But uh, the playbook is you buy the votes, the Federal Reserve accommodates buying the votes. Um, and, and I, and I kind of feel, you know, this is just my complete speculation, but I kind of feel that Federal probably has gone higher in interest rates than they probably would like to have gone. But I think they purposely did it because they know they're going to have to lower rates next year and it'll be easier to come down from a level that's higher than it should have been than to come down from a level that was maybe where you should have been. So let's let's just let's argue they went one percent above where they really should have gone, and I think that's I actually believe they went one percent too high, um, given the lag effect of monetary policy. Then you know they, then they have more room to come to the downside and create that improvement in economic impact at a time of the election because it's very hard to vote for an incumbent if you're blaming him for why the economy is not good in your state. Or in um, in your industry, you know, you're going to blame him for why, you know, you lost your job, or your wife lost a job, or your income, you know, whatever. So, so I look at all that, and, I, and it says to me that that 2024 geopolitics, notwithstanding, looks like it should be an accelerating year for commodity, not headline commodity inflation to come back. Because remember, commodities have crashed and burned um, well before the headline inflation numbers started coming down. They will go up well before the inflation numbers stop going down. So it's a, it's a yin and a yang, and, and, and commodities lead 
on the way up and they lead on the way down. And right now I believe that we are about ready to start wave two or round two or phase two of this 10 to 15 year commodity inflation cycle that I believe from what I see is going to be led by agriculture because of the weather volatility cycle this particular time that's very, very different than any prior cycle in over 400 years that I've studied and looked at. So to me, because of that, we have extra juice in agriculture from weather volatility that that is an order of magnitude larger than we've had in prior ag inflation cycles that every every bull market commodities there's a there's a leader uh, and I think ag is going to is has been leading and I think it's going to continue to be a leader for that reason yeah. so well especially if if uh, what you talked about last time about the Brazilian um, uh, cropping issues that we see based around the deforestation stuff if that actually pans out comes out to be true from what you're studying there that's that's even uh, yeah, if we have a ten-year drought cycle and their overall production is down, and they don't grow it anymore, that that is that is a tectonic yeah, shift. It's a, a tectonic deal. shift in what needs to happen in the world, um, and it just so happens to be it would be a, a a windfall boom time scenario for U.S. farming because we'd be able to crank it out as best we can, and and we'd have. You know, overall higher prices because, and we have much better demand because we wouldn't be competing as much with Brazilian. Everything would 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 push in the direction of the U.S. having a, a renaissance after kind of a tough period here, Casey. You know, with yeah. the trade war. I mean, look, yep. it's been a tough period for U.S. ag for about for the last decade. And uh, you know, I wouldn't. I mean, even though far, U.S. farming is okay, I, I wouldn't call it the best of times for a whole host of reasons. But. Uh, it looks to me like just the way things are playing out, uh, it, we could be having a, a renaissance here over the next decade for U.S. farming. And, you know, if, 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 if the U.S. is given the right incentive, we are very, very good at figuring out how to do more with less. Yeah. So, you know, we, we will figure out a way that we will figure out a way to grow more. We will. If we're given the right incentive to do so, we will. There's no, I, I have no doubt. Uh, we're, we're profoundly qualified and the most qualified, I think, to be able to produce more with less and and pick up the slack from what could be you know a situation in Brazil that's just of their own doing. But it is what it is. So, right on. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at Hacker Financial, what's the best way to do that? Um, you can take a look at our um, Twitter page at. Faradex 11. We also have a uh, LinkedIn page. Of course, you can always go to our website, Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. You can look at a sample report. Some we, we post some of our different interviews on there to give people an idea of how we use our, our statistics, correlations, and cycles to make weather forecasts and price forecasts in agriculture so that those in agriculture can make bring more money home on the farm and to see if what we do might be of interest to those watching your show. Right on. If you get a chance, go check out Sean's website. There's a ton of information on there that you can get. That's, that's just loaded with good information. And uh, look at his subscription service as well. There's plenty of good stuff on there that, uh, you know, he's nice enough to send that to me. And, and uh, I read it and it's or listen to it, depending on if it's a podcast or not. And there's some good stuff there. So check that out. So Sean, appreciate you being the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Enjoy your frigid Florida weather. <laughs>
Okay. <laughs> right on. <clears throat> I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and go over to the uh, YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out there to see the video version of this. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. And got some big announcements coming out here in the next couple of months. And uh, we're going to see a new website here by the end of the year, knock on wood. So check that out. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard